Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these challenging bits um, in it that remind us of the hardships in our world. And we pray, Lord, that as we read these words and think on them, that it would help us to better understand you and the way that you work in our world, particularly in our Lord Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, it's a new year. It's a new year's a funny one, isn't it? We start the new year with all these plans and hopes, plans and hopes about how this year will be different from the last, better than the last, where things will improve. And not to be a downer on day eight of the new year, but sadly, lots of things will not change for the better. You can tell what kind of personality I have, glass, glass half empty. That annoying habit that you want to change just might not change. This might not be the year that you get all your things together and sort it sort out life. I really hope it is the year that those things happen for you, but it might not be. Even though we're at the start of this fresh new page, there are issues in our world which just probably won't change. And as we come to Psalm 75, the one that we'll be thinking about in particular is injustice. The world is full of injustice. Injustice is when things are basically not fair. When things don't happen as they're supposed to, the wrong thing happens and no one tries to fix it. We even actually, it's so prevalent in our world that we have loads of sayings about talking about this. Nice guys finish last. No good deed goes unpunished. And we get suspicious, don't we, when things go too well. We say like, when's the other shoe going to drop? We live in a world that is full of injustice, where life is unfair. And in a broken world like this, it can be really hard to keep doing the right thing, especially if that means you're going to finish last. And I think it's particularly hard for the Christian, those called to live a life of love. Love in a context of hardship and injustice, where you do the good thing, but you are repaid with the evil, where you turn the other cheek to those who lash out against you. Perhaps you've had some experience of this or, you know, in the Christmas period. I was thinking that Christmas lunch, though it can be lovely, sometimes it can be the place where some of these relational issues and tensions kind of come out, isn't it? And so in the lunch, you're trying to deal politely with hard people, being kind and patient and friendly, but those others just don't reciprocate. And it takes effort, doesn't it, to remain kind when others are being a pain? It'd be much easier to just be grumpy with them, I reckon. Or maybe it's a difficult relationship that you're in. You're seeking to act for the good of that person, putting yourself out for them, but they just take and take. It's unfair, isn't it? And of course, all this positive pales into insignificance when we consider the injustice that Christians around the world face. As they seek to live lives of love and peace and respect in a place which doesn't show them the same respect. And in some places... Those around them are actively oppressing them and unfairly punishing them. It's just not fair. The injustice of this world, things are not as they should be. It's really frustrating. And our psalmist feels that frustration. And he shows us how we can bring that frustration to God. Psalm 35 is a call for help from a psalmist feeling that same struggle with the injustice of our world. So as we look at our psalm, 
we see first the psalmist calling out to God. Calling out in the midst of oppression that he is facing. Verse 1. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take up shield and buckler. Arise and come to my aid. Brandish spear and javelin against those who pursue me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. May those who seek my life be disgraced and put to shame. May those who plot my ruin be turned back in dismay. The situation the psalmist is describing here is pretty dire, isn't it? The psalmist hunt down and caught in his enemy's net. Perhaps a psalm which reflects King David of the Old Testament when he was being hunted down by enemies, which sadly for him seemed to happen quite a lot for him. And to make matters worse, psalmist hasn't done anything wrong. Verse 7, since they hid their net from me without cause and without cause dug a pit for me, without cause. Psalmist has done nothing wrong, yet he's being hunted down by these enemies who are, trying to unfair, who are unfairly trying to bring him down. And in the midst of this injustice, the psalmist turns to the Lord. He calls out to the one who can help. The world that we live in seems to just let injustice happen. A lot of times the system just lets people down, doesn't it, and fails to deliver justice, though it does try. So the only person left to turn to is the Lord, the only one who's able to, actually able to act to save and bring justice. Verse 10, Who is like you, O Lord? You rescue the poor from those too strong from them, for them, the poor and needy from those who rob them. God's the only one who's not tainted by our broken system and is therefore able to step in and right things. And so the psalmist asks God to come to his aid in this battle, wielding shield and spear. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take up shield and buckler. Arise and come to my aid. Brandish spear and javelin against those who pursue me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. It's like a bodyguard coming to the rescue when you're under attack. Not that many of us have had experience of bodyguards, but there it is. It's a comforting image nonetheless, isn't it? One commentator puts it like this. In response to the psalmist's cry, Yahweh runs through the fray, spear and shield in hand, to defend the psalmist's life. As he does so, God's ringing voice is heard above the din of battle, shouting, I am your salvation. This encourages the beleaguered beleaguered psalmist to hang on until deliverance arrives. The comfort of knowing that the cavalry is on the way, that rescue is coming, that the oppression is going to come to an end. The psalmist calls on God to help in his oppression and he knows that God will act to save. And reminded of this, he waits for the salvation. And as he waits, we get a deeper picture of the oppression and the injustice he's facing. We get this detailed picture of the injustice of the psalmist's enemy. And it's a pretty full-on picture, the depth of this injustice. The psalmist is surrounded by those who are trying to bring him down. They're acting without any concern for justice or what is right. Verse 11, ruthless witnesses come forward. They question me on things I know nothing about. These enemies are bringing false accusations about an innocent party. 
can picture, it's kind of like a legal scene. Consider the picture. In the courtroom, the enemy brings false witness after false witness. And then they put the psalmist on the stand. And they badger them with questions they can't answer because they're innocent. Questions designed to make them look guilty, to fluster them. I can't answer your question. I don't know anything about what happened. I truly don't because I I wasn't there. I had nothing to do with what you're accusing me of. And what's worse, the psalmist has only ever done good to these accusers. He doesn't deserve their accusation and attack. Verse 12, they repay me evil for good and leave my soul forlorn. Yet when they were ill, I put on sackcloth and humbled myself with fasting. When my prayers returned to me unanswered, I went about mourning as though for my friend or brother. I bowed my head in grief as though weeping for my mother. The psalmist has only ever done right by them. He's acted with compassion and kindness when these enemies, these now enemies, were struggling. He treated them as family. And yet they repay his kindness with evil. Verse 12, they repay me evil for good. And verse 15, but when I stumbled, they gathered in glee. Attackers gathered against me when I was unaware. They slandered me without ceasing. Like the ungodly, they maliciously mocked. They gnashed their teeth at me. When his enemies saw weakness, they didn't mourn. They didn't grieve. They pounced. They'd been circling him like a vulture, looking for that first slip-up, ready to take their pound of flesh. Now that's injustice at its worst, isn't it? Not just a random unfairness, and, but calculated, intentional injustice. No deed, good deed going unpunished. In, for example, it might look like that toxic, toxic relationship where you've invested in a relationship, cared for someone when they're down, gotten alongside them when they needed someone, made sure that they were invited to social events and generally you stuck by them. And then you find out they've actually been hanging out with other people without inviting you. They ignore your messages when you ask for help and they don't make any effort to care for you when you're down. Or in a work situation, when you spend many an hour helping a colleague with their work, giving up your time to ensure that their work goes okay, not letting them, wanting to see them fail at their job, but then they take credit for something that you've helped them with. And they're the first to criticise when you're struggling with something. It's so unfair, isn't it? This injustice is so wrong. But it fades to nothing when we consider the injustice and hatred that Jesus faced when he came to the earth. He came to love people, to save them, His ministry was marked by care and kindness. And how did people repay his love and goodness? They killed him. In John 15, Jesus explains this to his disciples. But now, just Jesus speaking, but now they have seen these miracles and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfil what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. And Jesus was the completely innocent one. 1 Peter 2. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. 
Jesus, the sinless one, the innocent one, a victim of enemies who threw unjust accusations at him, who was ultimately sent to his death because of these enemies. This is the deep injustice of our world, the injustice of the broken, sinful world we live in. Selfish people concerned with their own gain rather than caring about others, walking over people to get what they want. Sin, the deep injustice of the opposition, even killing God's innocent son. Now, bleak a picture though this is, there are two things I think we can take from this. Firstly, this type of treatment is not just limited to the psalmist and Jesus. If they treated Jesus like this, we should expect it too. Jesus again in John 15, if the world persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Jesus faced the ultimate injustice from those who opposed him and we as his disciples should expect the same sort of injustice. Firstly, expect injustice. Second, in the midst of this injustice, we must keep doing good, regardless of what is thrown at us. Just as the psalmist did, just as Jesus did. When Peter 2 tells us, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Do good in the midst of suffering. That's the harder part, isn't it? Not responding in kind, but instead paying evil back with kindness, hurt with love, pain with care, taking a deep breath when you've been insulted again and choosing to do what is loving and right, continuing to pour out yourself for those in your life who are hard to deal with and give you little back, Sticking with helping those around you, even though they might not reciprocate. This is hard to do. By ourselves, it's impossible, I'd say. But in God's kindness, he's given us his spirit who works in us to bring out this fruit. And so, and we, like the psalmist, need to call out to God to help us in this. How can we continue to persevere in doing good in the midst of injustice? Well, we, we call out to, the God, to our God who acts. In the final section of the psalm, we see the psalmist again calling out to God, calling on him to address the injustice, to not just observe but to act, as he puts it in verse 17. O oh Lord, how long will you look on? In the midst of the injustice, the psalmist calls on God to act. And the great thing is that even though it seems like the evil enemies are getting away with it, this injustice is just allowing to happen, it's not going unnoticed because God sees. Verse 22. O Lord, you have seen this. Do not Be not silent. Do not be far from me, O Lord. Awake and rise to my defence. Contend for me, my God and Lord. Vindicate me in your righteousness, O Lord, my God. Do not let them gloat over me. It's like the parent who knows exactly what's going on with the squabbling children. They come with their different accounts, but the parent's not going to be tricked or allow that injustice to continue. In the same way, God sees all, knows all, and he knows what is right. There's comfort in knowing that God sees the whole picture. 
and he acts on behalf of the psalmist. Like a lawyer, God steps up to contend for the psalmist. He rises to their defence. He fights their battles for them. And like the just judge, he will vindicate the oppressed psalmist. He will bring true justice. This is who God is. He fights for justice and brings it. And the psalmist praises him for it. But while the psalmist might have experienced this justice in his time, what do we do with the fact that there's still so much injustice in our world? Well, I think this is where Jesus comes into the psalmist's picture and completes it for us. For while Jesus experienced deep injustice, he did so to bring ultimate justice. We've seen in the psalm the the psalmist experiencing this injustice at the hands of his enemies. But ultimately, this this kind of experience is pointing to Jesus and his experience. Jesus, who came to do good, hunted down by his enemies, falsely accused in his trials and then wrongly executed. The innocent killed alongside the guilty. Jesus experienced the injustice of this world personally. He knows firsthand the frustration that we feel about the brokenness of this world. He doesn't just sit there unaware. Jesus knows it. And he endured the injustice, suffering and dying, not only to bring salvation but to bring ultimate justice. Jesus knows the frustration but has done more. He's acted to deal with it. By his death and resurrection, Jesus has been set up as God's ultimate judge. Acts 17 says this, For he has set a day when he will judge the world, that is God, with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And so when Jesus returns, he will deal with all the injustice in our world. He is the one that God will use to deal with these unjust enemies. He is the one who will bring things to right. And because we know that Jesus is risen and will return to bring justice, it means that we can live in this broken world with a comfort and a hope that comes from nowhere else. Comfort from knowing that Jesus knows the frustration we feel. He gets it. And a comfort from knowing that he has acted to bring an end to it rising from the dead as the judge who will come to put things right. So as we experience the injustice in this world, we have hope. We know that things will be restored because we know that Jesus is coming to bring justice. A day is coming when he will return and deal with all the brokenness and injustice of this world, where God will put all wrongs to right. And so... While we wait for Jesus to return, we continue to live lives of uprightness and goodness, not stooping to the level of the unjust, secure in the knowledge that justice is coming. Blending a couple of passages from the 1 Peter and from Acts. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good living in hope, knowing that there is a day coming when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. So let us keep living for God and calling out to him to deal with the injustice we see, comforted as we know that in Jesus he has set up his judge 
will return to bring real and lasting justice. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do see the brokenness and injustice of this world. And thank you that you have not just sat by and allowed it to happen, but have stepped in to deal with it in Jesus. We thank you that he knows what it is like to experience injustice and we thank you that he has risen as the just judge. We ask that he would come soon to bring justice. And we ask, Father, that as we wait, we would live upright lives, even when we suffer unjustly at the hands of others. Amen.